You've been listening to our podcast because you know that navigating through the emotional tornado of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. Once the initial fear and pain subsides, you're hit with a new storm of anger, uncertainty, and self-doubt. Listening to podcasts, reading articles, watching videos is absolutely helpful. Yet it can fall short of the support you need in this marathon journey through divorce. And you don't have to go it alone. We can help you get clear on where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward with practical, tangible support that you can implement right away. Our Journey Beyond Divorce team of experienced coaches is ready to help you. So listen through this episode because we have a gift for you that will help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. I will kind of establish Eric's expectations and say, Eric, this is unlike any other negotiation that you have ever been a part of. Eric is in a negotiation with Melanie, whether he likes it or not. And that is one of the more unique aspects that is incredibly frustrating for Eric because he's probably been a wheeler and dealer. It's why he's, you know, at the top of uh, his business. As if divorce isn't complicated enough, Add wealth and a family-held business, and divorce negotiations can get quite complex and emotionally charged. That's why I created a series around divorce and the family-held business. Whether you're the primary business owner or the spouse of, this series is for you. We speak to attorneys for each side and walk you through what to expect and how to prepare from consultation through settlement. Along with typical intricacies of high net worth divorce are the unique complexities of the family-held business partnerships, commercial properties, employment of family members, and so much more. All of our experts are experienced in these areas and will assist you in asking the right questions, gathering the appropriate information, and ultimately negotiating the best possible settlement. In today's episode of Divorce in the Family Business, I'm speaking with Ryan Kalamea, who will be walking us through his representation of the primary business owner from initial consultation through the final divorce settlement. If that's you, it's essential that you understand and are prepared for all the complexities of divorcing with a family business. As a divorce attorney for the moneyed spouse, Ryan helps you set realistic expectations, get clear on the process and the required documentation needed, avoid valuation issues, and understand what business valuators will be looking at. Ryan also guides you in the behaviors to avoid in order to keep divorce costs down and emerge with the best possible settlement. 
If you're the spouse of the primary business owner, you definitely want to tune in as this conversation is different from the one you will be having with your attorney. Before we dive into the complexities, a little bit about today's guest. Ryan Kalamea is the managing partner of Kalamea Gosha, an innovative and ambitious law firm that pushes the boundaries to discover new frontiers in family law, personal injuries, and criminal defense in Vail, Colorado. Ryan's practice is focused on complex property valuations, disputed marital agreements, and parental relocations, and high-profile personal injury claims. Ryan is also the co-host of Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. I'm very excited about today's conversation. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. And before we dive into the material, can you just share a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing? Yeah. So my dad was a personal injury lawyer uh, and I grew up thinking that I was going to do anything but be a lawyer. I thought it was boring. Uh, I was intending to be a professional baseball player uh, when I played in college at the University of Virginia. Uh, I realized that I was a mediocre uh, baseball player and <laughs> that my career was going to end. So I wanted something to channel my competitiveness uh, to work directly with people. I enjoyed the team atmosphere of being a baseball player and ended up at uh, University of Colorado Law School and then started off my career in the mountains in Vail, as you said, uh, at the prosecutor's uh, office and then had an amazing mentor when I decided that I wanted to be in private practice uh, that was in Aspen and he was a divorce lawyer uh, and I ended up being, um, you know, an associate with him for quite a while and then moved over here to, to Aspen. So we cover both Vail, uh, Aspen, um, deal with a fair amount of wealthy individuals in those communities. Uh, we also, my partner, Amy, uh, is a family law lawyer down in Denver. So you cover a nice chunk of Colorado. We do. And most of uh, our uh, practice is focused on high-end clientele, whether it be uh, the business owner or uh, non-money uh, spouse. We actually have an avatar uh, and we've created pr profiles of you know these people. We call them Eric and Melanie Wolf. And we can talk about that, but uh, frequently deal with people that are either beneficiaries of generational wealth, you know, trust uh, uh, funders or uh, business owners or people that have, you know, made a substantial amount of money and then have ended up moving here. We've seen a lot, we, a significant number of people um, who have moved here uh, after the pandemic, the urban exodus. Right. And and that is why I invited you on to the episode, because we're really looking for experts who just swim in these waters all of the time. And so Eric Wolf and Melanie um, will be your avatars and you can use those as examples for our listeners. And I think that's great. I think that'll be really helpful. So let's let's just dive in. Um, there's there's divorce, which has its own complexities. When you have someone who is the primary owner of a family held business, can you walk us through what uh, what that consultation looks like? How do you begin with someone like that to put them on the right path? Right. So in our practice, you know, Eric Wolf is the business owner and he's going to have uh, some general fears, both emotional and uh, financial, as well as uh, the process. So we have uh, our receptionists get as much information in advance. But really, when Eric walks in the door, um, I'll have a conversation with him or if it's a female uh, business owner, uh, kind of the same same conversation. And but before that meeting, oftentimes what we would like is via email uh, or some other way to get an idea of, okay, there's a business involved and we will ask for uh, tax returns, uh, financial statements, just to get a general idea. Now, oftentimes, Eric, uh, you know, in our story, 
uh, he is in a counselor's office, uh, divorce or a, a marriage counselor's office, and Melanie announces that she has hired a divorce lawyer. And he walks out, and he's got tears streaming down his face, and he's thinking about his kids, and he has fears. And these are typical of business owners, where Melanie uh, probably doesn't have as uh, much familiarity with the finances. He's but he's going to be worried about what's going to happen with the house, what's going to happen with his kids, uh, and what's going to happen with his business. And so in an initial consultation, certainly we'll talk about some of those fears. And inevitably in uh, the initial consultation, I'll hear about uh, the reasons for the divorce uh, in uh, Colorado, where I practice, it, we're a no-fault state. Uh, most states, you know, fault is is uh, not relevant, but there are some states where uh, it is, and and we can get into that. And and obviously, it's going to be a factor depending on where um, you know Eric uh, lives. But we'll I'll, I'll get an idea of generally speaking. What kind of business is this? Uh, is it capital intensive? So is it a construction business where they own a bunch of trucks uh, and they have a bunch of people working for them? Is it a software business where they you know, make, uh, you know, there's a lot of intellectual property or is it a real estate business where it's just owning a bunch of uh, commercial buildings uh, or residential really to get a flavor of what exactly are we talking about? about uh, here. And certainly we'll get into um, other things, you know, kids, uh, we'll talk about that, but um, really kind of just get an intro to what uh, we're dealing with in a divorce. So I'm curious, as you describe the types of businesses, uh, the the a question that comes to mind is, uh, the difference between, and I might be jumping ahead, so you can tell me that, like if it's a, a partnership versus a, a you know, a S corporation or a sole owner or what have you. Right. So those are the sorts of things. So if if Eric is, for example, if he's a doctor or he's a lawyer like me and a lot of the benefits that for me, like I run my own business, I'm the managing partner. And so I every month will look at our P&L and I have a good you know, understanding of our accounts receivable. And so I can talk about those various issues. And I need to understand is Eric, does he have partners? If so, he's going to be worried about what the divorce process is going to be like. And he might say, I have an operating agreement that says that my business is worth X uh, if I leave or if there's a divorce. And frequently businesses will have some sort of provision in their governing uh, documents, like an operating agreement that says, that they get access or that it's worthless if there's a divorce. And at least in Colorado, and this is generally true, my understanding in other states is that those sorts of agreements, they, they can matter. They're not necessarily controlling. So one of the things is uh, uh, Eric can come in and he'll be like, this is super easy. There, there is no value to my business. Uh, and it's just me. I'm a real estate broker or, you know, I'm a lawyer and the business is just me. And, you know, there might be some validity to that. Depends on where you are. There's going to be, and we can get into it in terms of personal goodwill uh, versus, you know, some of the other aspects of evaluation. But really, I'm going to try to kind of get an idea of um, is he is Eric uh, is he a sole business owner uh, does he have partners who is oftentimes uh, you know Eric if he's the CEO for example he might not know the financials uh, in in great detail and and to find out does he have a CFO or a bookkeeper because that's the person that I'm often going to be really working with and you know the other aspect is is Melanie uh, so is his wife how much familiarity does she know? That's something I will talk with Eric about is does Melanie, does she, does she balance a checkbook? I mean, to the extent that people do that anymore, but how often is she just the one that just is running up the credit cards, buying a thousand dollar purses? You know, Eric just kind of rolls his eyes when he sees the credit cards. What kind of relationship have they had with finances? Because typically in uh, many marriages, it, but it can vary, but there'll be someone that is really kind of the financial person. But, you know, oftentimes in businesses or where businesses are involved, 
you know, the wife will be the one or the non-moneyed spouse will be the one that actually has the personal financials. They know how much the kid's private school or uh, the, you know, the mortgage is because the uh, business owner is just solely focused on their financials. So I really want to get an idea of that and to kind of figure out where the um, emotional and, and other aspects uh, that can matter for a divorce where, where they lay. Right. And, and I want to kind of say right from the get go, um, we're not going to be focusing a lot on the emotional because the emotional kind of comes into play with all of the various series that we do. And, and here we're really looking for those unique complexities. And so you have a business owner, he or she may have partners, they may not have partners. As you're saying, the business could have a lot of, um, a, a lot of, uh, real estate or equipment or, or none. So in this initial consultation, you're gathering a lot of information to find out if I'm understanding this correctly, um, what the dynamic is and also how much your client knows in terms of the role that they play in their own business. Yeah. So Eric may, if he is, for example, of uh, raising money, uh, he's, he's a, in a startup and he's been raising money from venture capitalists or outside sources. I would want to know that because there could be slide decks that he uses to say, this is a billion dollar company. And that might be in contrast to the reality, but it's certainly in contrast to Eric's incentives in the divorce. But I would want to know what what exists out there I'd, similarly i'd want to know um you know how is the business doing and and just get an idea of uh what um you know what what's happening to the business i mean things had uh with the pandemic it had an in, you know impact on a lot of people's you know, businesses and it's really kind of dependent. Like if it's an oil and gas, there's going to be a lot of volatility. Uh, but then I'll also get, get through with Eric is how clean are your books? Mm. And, you know, like, are you confident or have you been really pushing the envelope? I mean, we just had a, a new law passed at the time of this recording that the IRS is going to have $80 billion uh, and it's to increase the, you know, the, the kind of oversight in particular for business owners. Owners. And a lot of people will push the envelope. So, you know, everyone generally will expense their phone, uh, but they could have a whole family plan. And really, when you go through that, uh, you got to kind of figure out like how much is personal and how much is is business because it can be like an audit. And I've had cases where, you know, a business owner was buying his girlfriend, you know, Victoria's Secret uh, and expensing it to the business. And you got to go through and because that that will be. Uh, you know, examine and you got to ask the business owner, uh, how much exposure do we have and how clean are your uh, books? And to really kind of get an idea of the trust that we need, you know, and the work that we are going to have on valuing the business. Another aspect, and you kind of, we touched on it earlier, uh, Karen, is, is this a multi-generational business? Is this something that, you know, Eric's mom and dad handed off to him? Because if the business existed before the marriage, uh, then there's going to be a, a claim often of separate property. And so, and states can vary. So, you know, California can have a different rule compared to Colorado and versus are you active or are you inactive as a passive investment? But, you know, if there's a business that was owned before someone was married, then you, you're going to have a separate property. But really getting back to my, my other is, you know, you'll ask about financing. Have you been getting financing? Um, because oftentimes people will fill out a credit uh, application and they'll put a value for their business on that credit application. I would want to know that, um, you know, there's going to be different data points, tax returns, other aspects uh, that we really are going to look for in terms of valuing it. And what I'll tell Eric is, I, I can't, I can give you a general idea, but I, you know, we're probably going to need an expert opinion, um, in the form of a CPA or somebody else to come in and actually value the business. And I'll talk to them about that process, which kind of segues into the actual divorce process. 
Yeah. And before we get into that, I kind of want to stop here and just inquire. It sounds to me that it is vitally important for your client, for Eric, to be honest and transparent with you. Do you have situations where it doesn't start out that way? Like, can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and maybe how it could go south if that doesn't happen? Because I would imagine with fear and anxiety, people could think, well, I'll just keep that piece to myself. Nobody will ever find out. Yeah, the thing that will cost uh, that, that will drive the cost of a divorce through the roof is a lack of trust. And there are oftentimes where uh, a business owner will be scared or they uh, will do things based on emotion, which is contrary to a lot of you know business owners. It's dollars and cents, and they are stuck in a different situation than they've ever been in, um, where emotion, they, they are terrified of losing the business. They have people working uh, for them. They feel responsible. And so they may do things based, you know, that are impulsive or based on emotion. And I really try to disarm, you know, Eric and say, I, you know, I got your back. Uh, this is going to be difficult. You need to really kind of surround yourself with uh, professionals like you, uh, Karen, and, uh, you know, to really prepare them and because they will be producing uh, most, if not all of the documentation, they will feel that it's unfair uh, and they will um, often you know, have those fears, which are legitimate. And so really kind of to disarm them and say, listen, if you tell me we can figure out how to address this and, and in Colorado, the court has up to five years to reallocate assets that were not disclosed and fraud if it if it exists or if they lie, it can come back to haunt people. They might have to relitigate their divorce. And so it's being strategic. If my client says, listen, I, I need to get out of this business or there's going to be something that comes up. Well, then that helps me because I understand the emotional. I, certainly, I will get into with with Eric. All right. Tell me, you know, what's the worst thing that Melanie is going to say about you? And also, what is it that you want and what is it that she wants? And, and I ask people in every initial consultation, if I could wave a magic wand, I can't go back and repair your marriage. I can't, um, you know, go back and, uh, you know, if you didn't have a prenup. Uh, I, I can't go back and do that, but what is it that you want? And they, cause you know, people, they come for, to lawyers, uh, for solutions. And, um, so I get an idea and, and oftentimes with a business owner, they'll say, I want my business and I want to kind of move on with my life. And we'll talk about that, but, and we'll get into kind of some of the other kind of tactics, but if they try to cut corners or if they try to, uh, you know, cover up something, it, it can really blow up in people's uh, faces and it can result in the cost of the divorce being far more substantial than what it should have been. So, so that's just a great, that's going to be my first um, summary to our listeners is in that initial consult, you're going to get a chance to talk about both your personal and business life. And the more transparent you are, the more capable your attorney is going to be to be strategic, come alongside you and help you get what you want is what I'm hearing. Listeners often share that they've been on the fence about leaving their difficult marriage for far too long. What about you? Are you walking on eggshells, constantly trying to make sense of your spouse's black and white thinking, revisionist history, endless blame and accusation? Have you lost your voice, your self-confidence, even your belief that a better life is available for you? Imagine for a moment 
Entering your divorce unflustered by your spouse's recriminations. Certain of your legal rights, crystal clear on your next steps and secure in your support team. How would it be to feel guided and supported to create, practice, and implement a bulletproof plan to leave your marriage with grace and dignity? If this sounds like what you need to finally get unstuck, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com and learn more about our Get Off the Fence program. You can even book a call with a coach to ensure that this is the right program for you. we can get into how do we present what's the presentation going to be like and we can really uh present the case well we're really going to make this case about this is about the three-year average of the business let's let's and we can frame the business in terms of what's the performance been like over the last three years and that might result in a substantially lower valuation which inherently protects or or helps eric if he's going to get into it we can talk about that but then as opposed to the one year uh the the business just killed it over the last year and we want to strategically that doesn't mean that we we need to to um just throw in a towel and agree with what they say and it really is how do you want your divorce to go do you want to save every you know nickel out there or do you want to look at your spouse in five years or what is it that you want their high school graduation, your kid's high school graduation to be at. And, you know, that really gets into the settlement. But it that is one of the things that I'll talk about is how much does Melanie know? If Melanie was the CFO and they are, I mean, they, they're pretty popular, uh, you know, two spouses working in the business. Melanie has a pretty good idea. So if you want to uh, pull the wool over Melanie's eyes or think you can, um, you know, you, you better be be careful because uh, that is going to blow up in, in your face. So it's really kind of figuring out uh, the dynamics. And often, you know, if there's an affair, for example, in particular in the office, if Eric is having an affair with his secretary, then Melanie, we just know Melanie's going to be really skeptical. And you just have to address some of that skepticism early in the case and try to instill trust and say, Hey, we're an open book here. Uh, this, you know, this happened, but we'll get you the information very quickly. And that it really is going to depend on what the conversation's like, especially in that initial consultation. Beautiful. So, and I'm sure there's so much more in the initial consultation, but so we set the stage, you gain, you get a, a flavor for the client and their position in the business and what they know and what they want and what their spouse's uh, level of activity is. So now they retain you. Um, what is, as, as they enter the divorce process, um, what does that business owner need to keep an eye on? What 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 are their expectations going into the process? The expectation is going to be really guided based on kind of what's going to happen with the business. So one option is is you divide the property or divide the business in kind. And you know there are I ha, I've I've done it before where there's a the husband is the CEO and the wife's going to the the C FO and you're going to continue on. I think there was a Wall Street Journal article a couple of years ago where that's actually a little bit more popular than than one would expect. If you do that, then you're not valuing the business because it's it, it's you you don't if if she gets fifty uh, percent, he gets fifty percent, then it doesn't really matter what the value of the business. The most uh, popular, uh, you know, situation is you're going to have some sort of, of offset. So, um, Eric's going to get the business and then Melanie's going to get something to 
uh, offset that. Um, so if you have the Eric and Melanie, you know, they have a basket of their marital assets and then you've got kind of the scales that, you know, people can envision the scales of justice, uh, you know, and Eric's going to feel like that's the scales of justice are completely tilted towards Melanie. That's just how it is. But, you know, the business goes in on his side, you know, does that mean that Melanie's going to get the house? Um, because a lot of business owners, they'll say, well, I just don't, I don't want her to tell, uh, me how to run my business and I don't want her to get 50% of the business. And that's often not what happens is the Eric will get the business. It's just about how much does that weigh down his scale? And it's really about the value. So Eric in uh, the divorce is really incentivized to say, my business is worth far less than what it really is. And everyone knows that. So in Colorado, we have valuation experts. And this is generally what happens is we'll have someone come in and they can be a joint or they can be a retained uh, expert. And one of the questions that the valuation expert will ask is who filed? And because they want to know is if Eric's been planning the divorce uh, because he's been having an affair with the secretary, he's going to start you know, pulling money out. Maybe he has a little slush fund uh, and they're going to really want to know that. And so, but oftentimes you'll have a CPA that is a valuation expert and they'll get into uh, the financial reports and they'll look at the last five years of the P&Ls and the balance sheets. And, you know, a lot of times people, QuickBooks is pretty much the industry standard. If QuickBooks is uh, online, then you can share, you can set up the valuation expert with their own kind of uh, profile and they can get in and look. And oftentimes Melanie's attorney will be set up and, and be allowed access to the books uh, and they can't change them. But one thing Thing that Eric needs to be mindful of is if uh, he thinks he the day before he files for divorce, he's going to go in and change all the different uh, allocations in QuickBooks, you know, that that Victoria's Secret, uh, you know, that goes in uh, and, and the, it's changed to, because he wants to, to drive the business down. Th that can really blow up in someone's face. Uh, and because it looks disingenuous. It, it looks, you know, shady and uh, they're going to find it out where they, they probably are. Um, and so that valuation process uh, usually takes quite some time and there can be different strategic uh, reasons to engage a joint expert or to have your own. Oftentimes, Eric, he's going to know inherently the value of his business. Uh, and so, you know, it really is dependent on his familiarity and how that process goes. So is it fair to say that if you're listening to this and you have a family held business, you are going to want to, and you're going to need a business valuator as part of the team to figure things out. I think that that's right. The general rule, because you also, Eric needs to think about, he can try to convince Melanie that his business is worthless. And, but she's going to be, her attorney is going to be just unbelievably, unbelievably skeptical and is just not going to believe it. And I think most times, Eric, um, he he often thinks his business is worth less or questions why his business is even worth anything. And that, uh, you know, they, it's just you just need to kind of prove it. And there's different ways that you can go about, uh, you know, handling that. But business, the value of it is going to be and, and the approach the CPA is going to take a business valuation expert. Uh, they will often, you know, they'll have three different approaches. They'll have uh, an asset approach, income approach, or a market approach. Mm -hmm. And it depends on the business. But if, you know, the business owner, if all they own is just stocks, and then there's really not going to be a, d a debate because the stocks are worth what they're trading at. It's when you get into the the closely held the private businesses and people can disagree on the personal goodwill uh you know how much money is in the bank that's not going to be much you know uh a debate but you know you could get into debts you know if if eric borrowed money from his dad 
uh, or he just created a bunch of of debt, uh, you know, with his other business partners. I mean, there's going to be various things, but you can go round and round. And, you know, but it's just, you know, I will have a conversation with Eric that I am like a quarterback or a, a manager at a restaurant and that I manage um, people that specialize. So if there's kids, you know, I might have a custody evaluator uh, come in, but if there's a business, I'm going to have a business valuation um, expert and that's what um, needs to be done. Now, if the business is only generating, let's say $10,000 a year, it's not worth the transactional costs to have that business valued. But if it's generating, you know, a decent amount of money, then, you know, it, it's worth the transaction costs because we're just going to go around in circles about how much it's worth. So I think for the most part, we're looking at businesses in the in the high multi-millions. And so in those cases where the business has some complexities, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like it's pretty standard to have a business valuator. We're going to have a business valuator in the series who walks us through the difference between the different kinds of businesses and what they look at. And, and they'll be talking to our listeners about how they know things are hidden and how they kind of find it out. And so that that's a piece of it. And you've said it a couple of times. I'll say it again. Um, transparency and trust can really streamline things. And it makes so much sense, as you pointed out, that, you know, if you're a business owner and you're afraid of losing your business, losing control, um, harming your employees, that that there could be a tendency to hide and you're you're being crystal clear that transparency is the way to go. Yeah. And M Melanie, her attorney, you know, and, and, and one thing I'll explain to Eric is that she should be your biggest cheerleader and that she wants the business to continue going. And ultimately we're talking about something that may or may not be sold. And uh, Eric will say, well, I'm never going to sell this. I'm just holding this on. And, and you can use that in negotiations. Uh, if, if there's such uh, a debt, if it's a multi-million dollar business, oftentimes that multi-million dollar business will not have multiple millions of dollars in cash. So right. one aspect that everyone's going to have to address in settlement is liquidity. And we're really going to kind of look at uh, the various kind of components of a business, but uh, you know, there could be multiple valuator or uh, valuations in a divorce for a business. So for example, if there uh, is a real estate company and there are multiple properties, let's say Atlanta, uh, New York City and Denver, well, then you might have to get an uh, appraiser in Denver uh, and Atlanta and, and New York City. Uh, then another kind of business would be, you know, some sort of construction business. And on the books, the equipment, the trucks, the cement movers, the trailers, all of that is on the books for you know, $5 million say, well, that's going to be based on how much it was purchased. And then there'll be often a depreciation schedule. That's not the real fair market value. And so then you'll have a decision because the uh, valuation expert will say, I, I don't know how much a trailer uh, that was bought 10 years ago is worth or what a I, I can go into uh, Kelly Blue Book and look at with a with a Ford F one fifty ten years old is worth, but what about a Caterpillar uh, front loader? And so you can have these different subsects of valuation that we typically will deal with. And that's one of the things that I enjoy is I'm constantly learning about different businesses and uh, different industries. So uh, a software business, they could have, um, you know, some sort of multiple that is an industry standard on what these businesses sell. And uh, it's, I think it's helpful for Eric to know that there are, access to private data banks that these valuation experts will have and like restaurants. I mean, restaurants are traded dental offices, others, uh, different insurance uh, brokerages. There are businesses that are fairly liquid. They sell all the time. You can, you know, buy a restaurant or a bar uh, and they can look at, okay, this is how much these typically trade at. Um, it could be 
2x EBITDA or something of that variety. But then you can look at something else. And if you look at the stock market, Apple will have a particular you know price to earnings uh, that is attributed that, and that's different than Exxon or some other company. And it really depends on the industry and what kind of business. Uh, it is. And you can look at, is it generating, you know, profits? Is it, are they just really in a growth phase? All of those factors are going to come into play with the valuation expert. And it's incumbent on the attorney to understand that really with the assistance of Eric and Eric may or may not have that kind of sophistication, uh, but he will uh, likely get a, a crash course in how that is done. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Again, another question comes to mind. Just you're you're using two terms, uh, and I'd like you to just explain a little bit to our listeners. So, there's a business evaluator, and there's a forensic accountant. Now, I know the business evaluator is doing some forensic. Are they there? And they're often, I think, both CPAs. So, can you just explain the the similarity difference between those two titles? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. And, you know, oftentimes people like me will get into the weeds and, and uh, we just assume that people understand this. So uh, a, a valuation expert is going to look at the uh, business, the financials. OK, so like QuickBooks, you can have a profit and loss to see what were the expenses, what was the revenue. And then you come to the bottom line and, you know, that generally there's going to be a relationship between the business financials uh, and the tax returns. And so a valuation expert, they'll look at that. They'll say, OK, this, this is true. This is accurate. This business earned a million dollars because that's what the financial report reports uh, showed and the tax returns, that's what they showed. So I'm going to value this business based on a million dollars of, of gross revenue. Well, a forensic accountant could say, uh, no, that is, um, you know, I, I'm going to uh, look at what the bank deposits were and I'm going to talk to employees. I'm going to see, and if there's under uh, reporting, if they were cooking the books, if they were taking inappropriate uh, deductions, if you know they had a family vacation and they expensed that, a forensic accountant could go in and say, no, that actually did not happen. Or this business, I put together the uh, financials and I looked at all the bank statements and it actually, this business is earning $1.2 million because they went through and actually looked at every bank statement, every bank deposit, and they tracked the money from one place to the other. And you can imagine that is really, it can be laborious where the, uh, and it can be the same person. So Mel, it, oftentimes it's going to be Melanie. So Melanie, she will uh, not trust Eric's books. She'll say, I want a full forensic accounting 
and I want a valuation expert and they can be one in the same. An accountant uh, often will will do that. Uh, and it, it's more more likely going to be Melanie's attorney that Eric doesn't really. He's, of course, going to say, uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, on the up and up. And, you know, or he would say, um, yeah, we maybe pushed the envelope on this, but Melanie knew about it and he could maybe say, uh, you know, listen, I'm going to, uh, you know, put my cards on the table and yes, we, we benefited from this and, um, we earned this and, and really kind of be upfront. And that's one of those things, the very early part of the, the case that you would really kind of want to, uh, discuss because that forensic going through all those bank statements and credit cards and, um, and, and there, there are some, uh, aspects uh, that are forensic in nature. So for example, um, a business valuation expert, they will go through and they'll, they'll talk with Eric and they might talk with Melanie and, you know, could say, listen, is your personal vehicle, is your vehicle that you drive the kids to school every day, is that in the business? And they would add that back in because the whole point of a valuation expert is to say, if this business was sold, then what would it sell for? And they're going to add back in. And that's usually, we can talk about some of the common disagreements between valuation experts. Um, and, and one of them is going to be adjustments. So like health insurance, because, you know, my health insurance might be for my family might be different than Eric's uh, health insurance. And if I am going to buy Eric's business, then I don't care. Like, I don't, I want that to be added back in. I might, I, I might be old and not need health insurance because I have Medicare. Um, and so you really want to try to normalize a business and and you would add back in some of the kind of things that often you know business owners will uh, expense okay so as you're speaking i'm certainly getting a sense of the deep complexity of these situations and i think our listeners are as well so what i'm hearing is uh, it's usually the non-business owner, especially if there isn't a really solid foundation of trust, who's going to be looking at hiring the business valuator or the forensic. The forensic is really doing that deep dive. It's going to find what's hidden and um, and it's time consuming and costly. And so, Okay, so so that that gives us a picture of at least some of the complexities. Let's let's move forward now to, if that makes sense, to uh, what can a business owner anticipate once you get all the cards on the table, everyone's uh, everyone's shared documents, and now you're at the negotiation table. What can be anticipated there? Well, so the negotiation table, I will kind of establish Eric's expectations and say, Eric, this is unlike any other negotiation that you have ever been a part of. Eric is in a negotiation with Melanie, whether he likes it or not. And that is one of the more unique aspects that is incredibly frustrating for Eric because he's probably been a wheeler and dealer. It's why he's, you know, at the top of uh, his business and he probably just knows, Hey, I know how to negotiate business. Well, guess what, Eric, you get to negotiate with someone who you uh, will probably call illogical, stupid, emotional, whatever, you know, uh, uh, you know, criticism he wants to assign. And that is something that he needs to be prepared for because it is really frustrating for Eric. But let's set that aside. Uh, and we really need to kind of get to Eric's bottom line. And there are going to be things that he needs to take into consideration that because it's his own personal life, it's his own, you know, there are emotions involved, which often are not the case when he's going to acquire, you know, a, another business. Um, he's not going to have that same level of emotion. And he really needs to kind of uh, examine his time his relationship with the other party, 
uh, and the intangibles, because if Eric wants to, you know, save, uh, you know, five cents, he, you know, he might have to spend more time talking with me and having depositions and spending time talking with experts. And what I, you know, I, I get along with the Eric Wolf's of the, the world. Uh, and I can, you know, I frequently will have good relationships with, uh, my clients after, uh, the divorce is done. And, but anytime Eric calls me, his, his blood is going to start, you know, increasing a little bit. Why? Because I represent a negative aspect in his, uh, life because he's going to be having to cut a check to Melanie and it could be six zeros, seven zeros, eight zeros, whatever it is, he's often going to resent that. And he will be incredibly frustrated with how long it takes, how much it costs, and the aspect of him feeling that that he built this business and that, you know, Melanie probably deserves some, but not as much as what she's asking for. But it, it's going to kind of depend, Karen, on whether or not if you have a battle of experts. So if Eric has his own valuation expert and Melanie has her own valuation expert and they kind of have differing opinions, uh, that's going to drive some of the settlement um, because those two experts, they're likely going to, uh, you know, there there are various things that they can uh, disagree on. And uh, someone like Eric will just be like, well, the business is worth, it's just numbers, right? Like that's, that's what it's worth. It's And like I said earlier, what the amount of money in the bank, there's really not going to be any dispute about that, but there will be a dispute, for example, on reasonable compensation for uh, Eric in his role. And if Melanie works for the business, what her reasonable compensation. And it, the reason that that's important is that if Eric, uh, you remove Eric from the business, uh, well then, you know, and you have to pay him $500,000, then, you know, that's going to differ from $250,000 because that's going to mean that the business is more profitable. And if it's more profitable, it's going to be worth more. So what his quote, reasonable compensation experts will disagree uh, on that, they'll disagree on those adjustments that I mentioned earlier. They'll agree. They'll disagree on discounts. So if there's a lack of control or lack of marketability, the business is not for sale. They'll disagree on that. So it's really understanding that when you go into negotiations. But you know, I, I mentioned earlier, it, it, the business is probably not going to have as much money in the bank as it's half of the business. And if you're talking about an equal division uh, of property, well, then, you know, you're going to be really looking at what other assets are there to soak up that business value on Eric's side of the ledger. So, uh, you know, it, are there other houses? Are there other businesses? Is there investment accounts? How liquid is this estate? And, you know, really those are the sorts of things that are going to drive that settlement. And finally, at least from my perspective, I'll have a conversation with Eric and say, listen, you're going to take a hit in one to three years. You're going to be, you're going to have to pay her um, more um, than you think is fair. Um, but really, you, you know, you need to think about this for five plus years on. And oftentimes that is somewhat helpful for Eric to kind of conceptualize that where they'll feel, okay, this is going to be my business, really my business. I can focus on building it back up. Um, but I, I will ask Eric, what does a win look like for you? Because there's not too many wins in divorce. Uh, and really it's, it's a matter of, uh, being generous to the point of, you know, you can get this done quicker and you'll end up being able to focus on your business, but then you can look your spouse in, uh, in their face at your son or daughter's high school graduation and know that you did, you know, the right, the right thing. And, you know, if, if you can't breathe the same air, uh, as them at the high school graduation and, you know, you, uh, both, um, hate each other. Well, is that really a win? Yeah, you've got your business, but you know, you, you're, you're going to be unhappy, uh, you know, oftentimes and your, your kids are going to know it. And so I, I often will counsel, 
you know, my clients to be more generous because then they can get out. They don't have to pay me. And oftentimes people, Eric will come back to me in three to five years and say, you know what? I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't at my best and you were there for me at a very difficult time. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for, uh, your advice. Cause at the time I, you know, wanted to fight you or I wanted to drag my feet, but I feel really good. And I, you know, that's not just that you should overpay. It's just when, you know, on the margins, uh, there's something to be said because I'll oftentimes Eric is just going to be thinking about the dollar amount. He's not going to be thinking about the time. He's not going to be thinking about his kids and all of those things that really kind of matter for a divorce. You know, you've spoken a bunch here um, and we've weaved in the emotions. And so, you know, we have we have the high net worth, we have the the family held business. And then that that uh, wild card is, is this couple capable of an amicable divorce? Or are we looking at something that's more high conflict when it's high net and it's high conflict and there's a family business involved? It sounds to me like it could really become a very expensive hot mess and that there's a lot of shrapnel that's you know, being thrown around, the kids are going to get hurt, the future is going to be impacted. And so you've said a couple of things I would like to just summarize here. Um, I want to summarize and comment on the emotional piece, because you were talking about how uh, they can't walk away from this negotiation and their negotiators typically like nine to five And now they have emotion in in the negotiation. The piece that we often see is the way you negotiate in the boardroom is not how you want to negotiate in the bedroom because you're going to intimidate your soon-to-be ex. You're going to even unknowingly and and, uh, unintentionally, you could really do an incredible amount of damage um, if you're not tempered in the way you're trying to have those conversations and negotiations, because you can be, for lack of a better term, you could be a bully in the boardroom. That's probably going to serve you really well. It's going to blow things up in, in the divorce. Um, I mean, ultimately, both parties, Eric and Melanie, they're going to be okay. And it's easy for me to say it's only money, but like this is their life. This is their, they, and they ascribe more value. Uh, because it's their identity. Uh, And really what Melanie is going to say is, this is my identity. I'm asserting my independence and that, you know, I deserve this money. And Eric will be like, this is my business. I, I, this is how I identify myself. And she's taking a part of me and she doesn't either deserve it or she's going to kill this identity. And those fears they, they really do matter. Let's take a few minutes before we wrap up to talk about, you know, we're, we're at least touching on some of the keys with the negotiation. Um, is there any, are there any other points on the settlement that you want to make? And then I have a couple of things I want to say before we say goodbye. I think that really understanding both parties negotiating perspective and what they value you. So uh, oftentimes in these circumstances, Melanie, the the home, that that is an emotional, she is, uh, has some emotional connection to that, uh, to that home. So you got to figure out, okay, that she's going to get the home and you got to try to figure out like the leverage, the uh, who is attached to what, and then you can kind of, you know, really figure out is Melanie's personality. Does she want to be, is she going to be the one that wants to have the last say in negotiations? And, and, and if so, how do you tee that up? How do you be, how do you get it so that it's Melanie's idea or do you make an offer that, you know, she's never going to take. And you know, it's the haggle. 
of like Monty Python and listeners can go and they can Google, you know, the haggle. I deal with it. Um, and I tell people, my clients before uh, mediation and, you know, it's like John Cleese, he goes into the Arabian Bazaar and he says, you know, hey, I'll, I'll give you five bucks for that basket or whatever it is. And the the seller, the vendor is like, no, no, you, you know, that's a fair price. You don't do that. That's not what we do. This is the haggle. You got to say, I'll give you $1. And then I say, oh my, and, and it's this rule. And that's what negotiation in, in divorce often is. And right. so it's knowing, you know, a lot of business owners will just say, listen, like 10 is a fair number. Let's make, uh, let's make 10. And, and at least in my experience in the divorce negotiations, Melanie, even if 10 is the midpoint or is a fair offer, she's always going to want to feel like, she got a deal that she didn't just take 10, even though it's fair, she's going to want to say, no, I want to, I, and because that's how divorces work. And right. so knowing that ahead of time, um, you know, and, and there's various game theory and anchoring, um, concepts and it really kind of depends on the style. It depends also on Eric, like, does he want to be done and how much has he had negotiations right. with her? But that first offer that sets expect expectations. And if Eric has had conversations with Melanie where he says, I'll do this and I'll do that, he needs to be really careful because that can then lead to some expectations. And he he can't uh uh you know write checks that that she can't uh cash. Um right. and you know, he needs to be really careful with those expectations and following his attorney's guidance because oftentimes he'll say, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, okay, Eric, um, this is, but you're, you're playing in my sandbox and you know, my sandbox is divorce and I've dealt with this and he needs to make sure that he has uh, a lawyer that knows, uh, you know, what value of the business and all of yeah. those things. And he needs to just let go oftentimes. And really that's kind of a conversation as stylistic. If Eric wants to know every single detail about his divorce, that's going to be different than, Hey, listen, this is your game. Um, you tell me kind of what to do. And that's really kind of a figuring out a good fit between Eric and his attorney. Right. And that's a great that's a, such a great point. Right. Because we we so often we talk to our clients about how do you pick the right attorney? And Ryan, I think that this conversation has highlighted for our listeners the level of expertise you have in the complexities of family held businesses and how important it is that if you are the owner of a family held business, you want an attorney who swims in those waters, who understands that level of complexity, who can really come alongside you and have these kinds of conversations. So choosing the right attorney is critical. The other thing is um, you can get very wealthy off of people who don't have their eye on the right prize. I was once told by an attorney, and this is kind of like uh, soft numbers, that 90% of uh, people who file for divorce in the courts uh, don't go to trial. Only 10% go to trial. And of the 10% that go, go to trial, 90% of them typically settle before the judge makes a decision. So we're dealing with, and again, soft numbers, but like, who is that 1%? This is the 1%. The 1% is the, the high net, the family held business, the high conflict. You put all of those together and chances are you'll be the one with the judge making the decision, if you don't follow the, the guidance of your attorney, your attorney will get wealthy. There'll be less to split up. You'll spend more time in the court system. And that doesn't help the business. That doesn't help the kids. That doesn't help the soon-to-be ex. And all of your advice I'm hearing is really the best way to spend the least, streamline, um, have the least amount of damage to repair afterwards, especially with the family. Um, and then be able to get on with the next chapter of your life. So um, if you're listening in and you have questions, you can send them. Send them to info at journeybeyonddivorce.com and we will pass them on to Ryan. And if our listeners want to contact you directly or potentially hire you, can, well, it'll be in the show notes, but can you share live now where they can find you? 
Yeah. So the, our divorce at altitude podcast, uh, can be found at divorce at altitude.com. Uh, there's various valuation. Uh, there's a conversation I had with a joint business valuation expert, uh, as well as some uh, other experts, uh, Karen, you've appeared on there. It's one of our most popular, uh, you know, shows, but, uh, Calamaya, my last name, K A L A M A Y A dot law. Uh, so there is no.com, but, uh, Calamaya dot law is our website. Uh, they'll be able to find, uh, articles, uh, blog posts, uh, podcast episodes, uh, on business valuation and other related topics, uh, in, in Colorado. So our phone number is 970-315-2365 and they can shoot me an email at ryan at Kalamea, uh, dot law. And always happy to hear, uh, from folks that have questions, but they should, if they're in another state, they should, you know, really go to an experienced attorney that's going to know because, you know, California is different than New York and uh, Colorado. And I, I frequently see that and people in terms of the valuations, uh, it can really vary in, in particular on a particular concept called goodwill, but there's also separate property and how that relates. But I, I think the general uh, comments about transparency and uh, you know the negotiating aspects those are going to be universal uh, and really finding out who's going to be the best fit for their particular case and really knowing that state specific law because it's going to vary um, all across the country well beautiful and this was so informative you really gave us so much detail and uh if you're in this situation if you're in the colorado area please reach out have a conversation with ryan um you'll be in very good hands and we will be back again with another episode of divorce in the family business real soon until then you take care bye-bye thanks ryan thank you Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.